Hey there, Radiant Souls. It's your host, Gina Kunarian, bursting with excitement to welcome you back to season two of the Shine Within podcast. You've been with me through our incredible first season, and now it's time to crank up the intensity. You know me, your energetic cheerleader, a mom of three fabulous boys, an empowering certified massage therapist, and the game-changing alcohol-free sobriety coach. With my trademark enthusiasm, I'm here to uplift more motivated women to break free from the chains of alcohol dependency. And guess what? We're still defining the norms with our unique non-traditional approach. Get ready to supercharge your transformation as I bring you an all-new lineup of awe-inspiring guests this season. They're the powerhouses in the realms of mindset, health, and spirituality. And they're all set up to equip you with potent tips and tools. We're talking about crafting unyielding confidence, honing laser-focused clarity, and infusing your life with exhilarating energy. This season, our mission is to ignite your creative potential to even greater heights, helping you to manifest the life of your dreams, all while living vibrantly alcohol-free. So buckle up as we journey deeper into the realm of self-discovery, awakening the inner magnificence that's ready to burst forth. Season two of Shine Within is about to take you to new horizons. Get ready to experience your true power and unleash your brilliance. So if you are ready to shine even brighter, welcome. Hey, lovely listeners, if you're finding value in what you're hearing today, make sure to head over to the show notes. Not only will you find more details on today's topic, but you'll also get an exclusive invitation to join my free Facebook group, Awakened Souls. This community is perfect for women who are either sober curious or currently journeying through recovery. Being part of Awakened Souls offers a supportive environment where you can connect with like-minded women, all working towards an alcohol-free lifestyle. Plus, there are special free gifts waiting for you inside the show notes, curated specifically to empower and assist you on your journey. If you're loving the content, I'd be also so grateful if you take a moment to rate this podcast. Your feedback helps me continue bringing you the conversations and insights you love. Let's keep the momentum going. And remember, you're not alone on this journey. I am here for you every step of the way. Welcome to another episode of the Shine Within podcast, where we explore the journey of personal growth, resilience, and the power of embracing one's true self. Today, we are thrilled to have Jimmy, an acclaimed operational excellence expert and the visionary producer and director behind the transformative film, Arise Firebird. With over two decades of experience in leading transformational programs across various sectors globally, Jimmy has dedicated her career to empowering individuals and organizations to navigate complex changes and foster environments that celebrate diversity and inclusion. In this episode, Jimmy shares her inspiring journey from a chief operating officer to a filmmaker passionate about highlighting the experiences of women and BIPOC professionals in the workplace. Arise Firebird is not just a film, it's a movement that challenges us to rethink resilience, embrace our stories, and find joy amidst adversity. Join us as we dive into the heart of Jimmy's work, explore the themes of her film, and uncover the steps we can all take to create more inclusive and joyful work environments. Wow, Jimmy, thank you so much for being on my show today. I'm super excited to talk to you. Thank you. So great to be here. I'm really excited to, to, to be here, Gina. Yes, me too. And um, I actually wanted to ask you, can you, if you could just go ahead and share what inspired you to go ahead and create your film centered around women 
and of course, the uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color professionals transcending fun and finding joy in their work. Sure. So I, I mean, I, so I, I actually left my old career in operations where I was a chief operating officer several years ago due to, again, a lot of the things we cover in the film. Um, and so now what I do fully is the movie, I'm sharing the film with the world, creating more, more stories, capturing more stories about work and un unrepresent underrepresented stories in work is what I do now. And the journey towards that was an experience I'd had, uh, an, an experience. It was really a culmination of over 20 years working in and around England um, for some really amazing companies and some really, really smart um, ideas and projects and some really lovely people. Um, or, or and some and many you know, many well intentioned people who said and did things that I would say were really quite abusive. So so when I say well intentioned, and I say this because I do believe, you know, you know, a, a good people do things that are not always are not always their highest selves at every moment, and um, so I faced a lot of of uh, harassment. Um, exclusion, bullying, sexual harassment, physical harassment, physical threats, um, being excluded from work, uh, in in my career, and also the and and they're all I'll say they're all microaggressions because they're I don't see the difference. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I um I was attacked at work as well. Again, this it's a microaggression because again. There's nothing aggressive, there's no micro about it. So I, I use that almost tongue in cheek in the sense that, yeah. Um, but all, and I got to a point where I had had a discussion with a senior leader towards the end of, towards uh, a few years ago, towards the end of my, that part of my career. And she said something. Um, and what he said was so, so it was an off the cuff remark of how. Um, how they could have hired a white man to do my job. And when they, he, she said those things, it wasn't the worst thing that had happened. I'm saying I had been physically threatened and 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 chased down the street as a part of my my career. Well, not chased down, but had to walk very quickly at night in Prague while being followed by strange men who were making animal noises as I went down. Mm. So um, I, but it wasn't, but it, I just couldn't bounce back from that the way I had before because my view had been, well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And so I had just risen, you know, above it and powered through it. But this time I couldn't, and I couldn't understand why. And that was what started me down the path, Gina, to making the film. Because I started having conversations with people about their own work experiences, trying to understand why I was being such a coward, why I was being so lazy why I was being so pathetic that I couldn't just you know shake it off um and I couldn't I've learned and that led us led me into virtual rooms with people from all over the world a lot of people from the United States talking about their experience in the workplace um and realizing that you know this isn't just me I really excited I thought I was the only person in the whole world going through this and with that came shame and humiliation that I just couldn't keep up with this that there's something wrong with me that no matter what I did, I couldn't somehow rise above it, you know? So that was what got me down this journey of, I wanna capture these stories. 
I'd like to have a testimony, a, a record that this had happened and it wasn't just in my imagination because when I talk to people about, about some of the things that were said, for example, a leader said to me openly, they could have hired a white man to do my job. I'm often met with people saying, well, but are you sure? Maybe you misunderstood the context of that. You know, as if there, and like, like, what is the context under which that would be okay? Like, what, could you explain a good context for that kind of statement? Um, or when they said, you know, they used these kind of racial slurs in front of you, you know, what, again, what, what did you do to kind of set that up? Like, I don't understand that. Like, how do you, what, what's the setup for that? What's, what's the, um, I think that was the journey for me. It also began to, to really realize like, you know, a lot of my well-meaning friends, it's something that, like doing this, I mean, trying to explain and justify why, you know, maybe I had brought it upon myself, would use ra racial slurs for other ethnicities. And it was a very, it's a surprising thing for me because I'd never really heard that. And I finally had the comment, I don't, yeah, I may not be, Asian or Jewish or transgendered, but I still don't need to hear any of that because I'm still offended. I'm offended in the sense that you would think I'm a safe place for that kind of toxicity. Um, but I, so I think my definition of good people has softened. I, I'm in the sense of, I think, I think everybody is fundamentally both good and, you know, not their higher selves at the same time, but it, but it, but I made the film because I just wanted to. I didn't want to keep having those kind of conversations and being drawn to very dark places with people who were, who maybe it struck a nerve what had happened to me and it led them to a dark part of themselves to try to explain. So with the movie, they can kind of go through that process without me being part of that, without me physically having to be there to help them process what's coming up for them and hopefully come out of the place where, okay, this is what happened. And this is not just me, but several women talking about their experiences. You can start the conversation from there. Like, do you believe all of us were lying? Um, or do you believe, and, and have that space. And I feel that's been a more effective way for me to have the conversation, but that was the, the initial, the, the, the initial idea behind the film. I think what's, happen now is that we have been taking that film into companies, into corporations, into nonprofits, where we do events, private events, um, and have conversations about the film and hopefully in a much more, not hopefully, in a much more interactive way where people who have been affected can share their own stories. And I, that has been a real, a real blessing for me to be able to hear the stories, to hear how people hearing their own stories, regardless of their gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, um, feel about their work experiences. So. Yeah, wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And like again, congratulations on this film. I think it's definitely needed out there because you know a lot of us are, are too scared to share our story. You know, I remember for me, coming from an alcoholic background, I was fearful of sharing my story. I was like, I don't want the shame. I don't want the guilt. I don't want any of that coming, coming out. And so I, it wasn't the moment until I actually shared my story and then became vulnerable. 
then people are like, oh, wow, I, I, I can relate to that, but not alcohol, but with some other type of addiction, whether it be food, whether it be cigarettes, whether it be exercise, whatever, you know, there's always something that people just are addicted to. So thank you so much for sharing that. I did want to ask you, where did you find the ladies where you were able to, or that got interviewed for your documentary? My network. I I went out and told people we were looking for people who'd want to come and potentially share their stories. If you could get to these locations, because you know we were shooting in the UK. Um, I was very, and I, I think so. So one of them came through a friend of a uh, a friend of a friend, and that was I was really grateful for that one. Another reached out to me when I went out on social media and talked to my network there for someone who knew somebody told her about this and that's how I, I met her. So it was just through a real process of asking mm-hmm. um, and inviting people in. And a lot of people said no. A lot of people had a, had really intense stories, but weren't ready to, weren't ready to come out um, and, and share them on, in such a vulnerable way. So we really got, um, had a lot of interest actually before we settled on these three stories in terms of women who were both ready to share um, and they had to be ready in terms of even in themselves to be ready to share the story and also um, that had the support from their families to do this as well because it was important for them not to do this alone. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful though. So amazing. Um, Now the concept of true resilience is the central theme of your work. Uh, How do you define true true resilience and what kind of, what are some key messages about resilience that Arise Firebird aims to convey to the audience? Well, one of the biggest things when I came into the corporate, when I came into my career, I knew that I was not a quitter. And so I would never, whatever the challenge, whatever I was faced, I was going to take it, you know, the, um, for example, think of like, so imagine I was working in a, t- in a leopard's cage and I go to leopard's cage and I come back one day and I got my, my hands all scratched up because I'm not a quitter. I'm going to go back to that leopard's cage and I'm going to keep working that leopard's cage until I get promoted. And I go back with a broken arm and I'm still going to go back and I go back and I get two units of blood transfusion, a blood transfusion because the leopard bites me. I'm still going to go back there. And that's what I thought resilience was. So I will go in that cage until either I defeat the leopard or the leopard kills me. Now, statistically speaking, as a human person, my chances of surviving in that leopard's cage are probably not non-existent if that if I keep going back. And I find that's what, but that's what I understood resilience to be. I would say toxic resilience. Because what I needed to what I need to do and what I'm learning from, our, from, from my own my own journeys that when I'm going to work places that are toxic, that are abusive, the answer often is to take a second and a, sec- a second, a minute, a moment, a month, a year, however, and actually take a look at what exactly am I doing to myself? If my goal is to thrive in my, in my work, can I thrive in that particular circumstance? Mm-hmm. And do, does that mean... You know, do I have to take better padding? You know, do, do I have to ask to work in a different, maybe not in the cage, but the, maybe they can move my desk outside the leopard's cage and I can sit outside the cage. But that's part of the, and that may be, that may be a harder conversation because maybe some zookeepers will say, no, you've got to work in the cage. 
some zookeepers, like we don't believe that desks outside the cage are a concept. You know, they have to educate them on this concept. Some people will just say you're trying to play the, you know, the human card that, you know, the other, you know, you should be able to sit in that cage and not complain about it. And that does take time. That does slow things down because some, some employers will say, yes, we'll give you the table outside. Some will even say, we didn't even know you were in a leopard's cage. No, you're not supposed to work in a leopard's cage. You're supposed to be in the office with the other humans. Sorry, there was a miss. Let's, let's try and fix that problem. But if, but if all I know is to go back and tackle that leopard head on, I'm not going to actually be, I'm not going to be resilient because it's just not possible for me in that environment. It's an impossibility to be successful in that environment under those conditions. I didn't realize that. So I felt I could thrive in every single environment. And that's not true. I can, so I may be able to survive in most places. I can't survive in all, but I won't be able to thrive in every single setting. And what I really want to invite leaders, professionals, anybody who's you know, really in life is to, is to ask the question, really, am I in a space where I can thrive? Can I thrive professionally here? And it might be for some people, it's going to be changing divisions, changing their shifts, um, if you can. And, and, and why I say this is that and for some, maybe just it's hypnosis to so just accept the fact that right now, this isn't a place where I can thrive. But I have to be here because survival is the priority right now. And to take the pressure off oneself to know that this is not a space for me to thrive, I'm not even going to put my mind to that. I'm just going to focus on keeping myself safe. I say this because when people in the in the Rise by a Bird movie, we discuss about women leaving. Some of the women left their careers. And I did, for example. And I often hear like that's not really something a lot of women have the ability to do. And also on the flip side, it's not something that, you know, companies don't want their staff to, you know, resign en masse. And I and those questions were very important. I feel like they often miss the heart of the film. Because what we're talking about, so we're talking about with true resilience, it's about, you know, I think mental resilience, mental health, mental well-being. No one who left the movie, who left, no one of the women who I've talked to who started their own businesses, started the business because they wanted to. They started because they had to leave an abusive environment. It had come to a point where it was no longer tenable for them to continue to be in that space. And when you get to a point where you feel you cannot stay where you are professionally and you cannot quit, that leads to a very dark place mentally for a woman. Because what else is left for a professional? If I cannot stay in this job and I cannot resign. And what we and, and what we find is that what I women start talking about things such as my life isn't worth living anymore. I don't think I should be here. I'm a waste of oxygen. That's where that becomes. So when women leave, so so when a lot of them left to start their business, when people right who left careers it wasn't because they won the powerball and had a million dollars or you know even shoot 50 grand the bank they left because it was like to save their lives that was what was now on offer so i know women who've left careers in the sciences and drive buses and become bus drivers that's not someone who had a lot of you know money to fly around 
but it was better for her mental health and her well-being to, 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 to no longer be a mathematician and to drive a bus, to no longer be a scientist and to drive a bus. That's what we're talking about. So, and from a leadership standpoint, you know, we, we don't screen off film in organizations that have people en masse resign because no, again, that's not the way people want to become business owners. They want to stay in the careers. Every lady we, that we featured in the film wanted to stay in their career. They wanted to stay with the employer. That was their desire. So we just needed companies to meet us, to meet us halfway. But I'm prepared to go into the lion's cage, the leopard's cage every day, you know, at least, you know, buy me some pad. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Give me some gear <laughs> to protect myself. <laughs> oh man, I'm a big feline fan anyway. I have kitty cats just knocking on my door here. Get me inside. Oh. Get me inside. <laughs> I'm like, no kitty. Um, yes, and that was actually mentioned in your TEDx as well. And I really enjoyed watching that. It was wonderful. <laughs> um, couple a couple of things I wanted to say is I noticed even at like my current job. And I mean, actually, I only work there one day a week because I've been there about 17 years. Very happy there. Love it there. It's like family there. Beautiful. But, you know, I'm in the spa business and I do massage therapy. So it's a lot of wear and tear on my back. Before old Gina <laughs> would have not had a voice and say, you know, I'm tired. I don't please do not book me anymore. The Gina now has a voice that says, you know what? <laughs> please put some space in between because I am, or get me off the schedule or continue to adjust my schedule accordingly because I want to, I'm responsible for my own self. <laughs> I am responsible for my own self and I know my body because I've been in many accidents and everything. So I'm very happy and grateful that my manager has that flexibility for me, but it is getting that voice and speaking out because a lot of people are just, a lot of women are just holding that inside themselves and then, then destroys us, right? <laughs> We're just like, what the heck is going on? And they want to stay in their corporate world corporate work, corporate life, but they're just like, you know, uh, I don't like the way I'm being treated here. And yes, and sometimes they probably find more joy and they may feel like there is a setback in their life. Uh, but I think setbacks are actually growing opportunities. <laughs> I love setbacks. Every time I have a setback, okay, what's going to be in my future that's even greater? <laughs> I have that mindset now. It took me a long time, of course, to reframe mm -hmm. my thoughts and everything but yeah and you know setbacks are a natural part of the work and life um as part of work in life and based on your experience and stories shared in your in your film what advice can you actually offer to individuals seeking to find more joy after facing setbacks in their professional lives so i think there's a difference between a setback and i would say trauma because when we're talking about trauma so if for someone who, if, for one thing, they probably wouldn't be able to identify as a setback mm. um, because trauma is a, is a, it's a, it, it's, it's a medical diagnosis. You would, one wouldn't need to see a doctor. So the biggest thing is if you, if, if, if you're just not able to shake it off, you know, if a vision board isn't going to cut it for you, please go and see a medical professional. It's really, really imperative. Um, that's a common theme across the board. When the woman we talk to is like, actually, when they now go and see a doctor, they're put on medication or talk therapy. There is, there is a, a significant intervention is required because for a lot of us, we are overachievers. You know, you have to work seven times as hard to be seen half as good. You had to get straight A's, you know. So they've come into the workplace knowing they and taking full responsibility of everybody's stuff. And that 
is not a healthy space because you're not we're, we're not able to we're not you know we're not superheroes so i think being recognized that you can't do everything it's okay to walk away it's okay to to fail <gasps> did i say that word the f word <laughs> you know failing at something doesn't make you a failure um and it's even okay if you can't say anything a big part if i've learned in this journey is for all of us for all the women in the film that were involved in the film community was really powerful so if you're able to speak up speak up for someone else then you know we've got to do this for each other but for somebody who's in that space of mental anguish the world becomes less colorful it becomes we, we see a lot less options and it becomes difficult to ask what got me to think differently about what i was going through was talking to my doctor and it was my doctor for an unrelated issue. And I ended up crying on the phone with him. He was the first person to point out that maybe there was something deeper going on with me. I couldn't see it in myself. I couldn't see how I could get out of this. I was stuck. I couldn't get out of it. If you ever think of a small child trying to put on um, a pair of trousers and they put both their feet into one mm -hmm. and they can't get it on and they get upset. You know, they're really upset because they're trying and they're stuck. The only way for them to get out of those trousers is for someone else to come and to help pull their feet up. My nephew was here a few months ago. Most of those examples, it took taking his feet out and helping him figure out where everything else goes. And then he's fine and he goes off. But in that moment, he was highly distressed, really upset, crying hot tears because he couldn't figure this out and was only continuing down the path of trying to put both his feet because they were stuck in the pant in the trouser leg <laughs> or pant leg for the Americans. It was stuck in the pant leg. And so my, my big ask actually is for those who love us. If there is someone who you think is struggling, you know, dare to have the courage to say that I don't think you are okay. Um, a lot of public hospitals in the US have mental health um, crisis centers. They're publicly funded. There may be options there to take them, to go with them to the walk-in center and to see what support is available to them. Just don't, don't just walk past it and assume it's not, well, they, they're fine now. They're smiling today. Yeah, they are today. Um, I remember when a woman told me the biggest relief she had. And so this, what I want to say is going to be a bit of a trigger warning. And then I'll, We'll, we'll end up with a much more I'll, I'll bring it up so trust me Gina it's a bit deep but we're gonna bring it yeah, up she she says so this is a, a real warning because I want to talk about self-harm um she got to a point where she was quite happy with her she had a big relief from all the pressures from her from her work because she had decided she was gonna take her life and that brought her massive relief that she would she would um, do that you know that so she seemed happier, but because she had now started making plans, things didn't work out the way she had attempted. And so she ended up becoming sadder again. But I say this in the sense that sometimes in the face of a, a crisis where someone actually is confronted with it, or even just with themselves, where they realize really how powerless they are over what's going on, I think that can create a space at least for me it created a space for acceptance that you know that I have an I had to accept I have an intrinsic worth and value that is not dependent on what anyone else says about me 
to get into that bottom that I am amazing, I am priceless, just as I am. That was a big, a big, a big thing. So I would definitely would want anyone in terms of bouncing back from any setback, big or small. And I don't believe in small setbacks. It it may seem small to me, but you know how much it hurts you. That starting from a place of you are worthy because you are a creation of the most divine. That makes you worthy, period. And I may not be able to see your worth, Gina. And I may not treat you with that level of value because I can't see your worth. That's my issue, not yours. That doesn't take anything away from the fact I cannot see everything you know, the universe has put before you and put in you. I can't see that. Maybe I'm not supposed to see it. Maybe I'm too, you know, I'm not smart enough to see it. But that doesn't take anything away from your worth. And for me to begin to realize, I have intrinsic inherent worth just for being a human being. And I need to see that. That was really helpful. And that I don't have to, and that I will make mistakes. I have and I will make mistakes. But um, there's always a chance that as long as there's life, there's a, there's a chance for a new day tomorrow. And as long as I have breath, I have a chance to redefine my life the way I want to. I also have to, I also think it's important for, for all of, I think it's really important from this journey to redefine what success means. Mm. And to have a very personal definition of success and not, again, my definition of success for you may be, Gina, you've got to have seven cats. If you don't have seven cats, you're not successful. what are you doing with your life? <laughs> what are you, how are you living without seven cats and a, an, an apartment in Beverly Hills and an apartment on the, on the, on the moon, the new moon colony. You must have one, a flat right now, an apartment right there now. What are you doing with your life? And I think that. Letting go of that, that. No one can tell me what success should be. I have to define it for myself. Um, has also been a massive relief and, and very, very freeing for me to be able to create a business, create a, to create work that has intrinsic value and intrinsic meaning for me. Yes, I love what you just said too. Success is defined differently to every individual because, you know, for me, I used to think, oh, if I'm, hit this 5k, I'll be successful. You know, walking is success. <laughs> you know, I have, I'm able to walk and I'm grateful for that. And I've learned like some hacks that I've, that I've uh, created in my head that I'm okay. What are my life hacks to be compassionate, to have gratitude, to be forgiving, and then also to love and, and just to be joyful. <laughs> grateful. Gr gratitude is a big one for me. I noticed that I've I'm grateful for everything. I do take time in the morning and I will set like my alarm one minute and just say everything that I'm grateful for or the timer, not my alarm. <laughs> and it's my alarm clock too, my phone. We have all those things. Everything, on. <laughs> everything. everything. <laughs> yeah. And just say what I'm grateful for. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And uh, yeah, so diversity I wanted to talk about and inclusion. They actually play a significant role in supporting and creating um work healthy work environments in your perspective how do how do stories and storytelling i should say more so storytelling because i'm big on storytelling impact the advancement of diversity and inclusion in the workplace i think it's in i mean i i my whole life is story now um i think i think it's important for people to, it it helps us understand a person a bit more deeply if we if we hear their stories and if we shared our stories, 
it's a way to build intimacy. And if we're looking in the workplace to be more inclusive, a big part of that is through relationships, one-to-one -one relationships. And it's, it's, it's a leader, it's a boss being interested in someone's life, in someone's experience and having the openness to not assume how it's going to end, how it should have ended. So being able to, so I, I feel we get to know each other and build an intimacy as colleagues, as clients, as, you know, as associates through sharing our stories and hearing our stories. It also helps people feel validated when they've had intense experiences. Um, and 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 I th I think build connection with their teams to be able to share what's happened, and their team know how to hold space, because part of stories part of stories storytelling is the story receiving. Do we do people know how to receive stories? Mm. And of course the answer is yeah, just listen, right? But but do we? And I don't think it's a case of teaching. I don't think we should teach like, oh, this is what you should do. Nod your head three times and say, I understand. It's a case of being reflect, like, why is this person sharing the story with me? Mm -hmm. And what would be the best response in this time? And it may be a clap, but it, but it may be a clap, maybe a pause, maybe questions. Um, often it's not going to be an interrogation, which I think we're often tempted to interrogate mm -hmm. and debate the story. I remember on a side note, quick story, talking about an experience I had at work and a friend of mine was trying to like interrogate, like, what did you do? Why did you do this? Are you sure? And I had to tell her, stop, I was there. Of the two of us, I was the person actually there. So, you know. <laughs> Sorry, I don't laugh at this because it reminds me of some old friends that I <laughs> just sharing things. So that, that's why I'm yeah. yeah. So I do think that, but I, but I think it's a, it's a powerful way. The other thing about why I think stories are beautiful is it's, and I've used them, I use movies, right? So I definitely, uh, I love the art form of storytelling to that extent. It allows us to experience, more greatly experience what somebody had gone through, almost like in 3D. Because you get to hear it, you see some elements, and then you, you feel the emotion of that when watching a documentary. When and that does something to a lot of people, not everybody, in terms of building empathy for that experience. And I feel like if we want to have a a more fairer, more equitable, and more productive workplace, we do need to empathize with the people that we that are working with us, um, because it ma it 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 makes decision making easier. I think the fear with empathy is that if I if I care too much, then I won't, you know, fire the five thousand people that work at that plant, and that won't be good for business. Um, and I think maybe the flip side would be if I cared more, maybe I'd be much more cautious about overexpanding prematurely, you know, and have a different model of expansion that wouldn't play around with people's lives. Right. And that's kind of where this, the space around empathy, like actually we could just go ahead and make a decision for the short term hit. But actually, I really do care about creating sustainable jobs. So let's really think hard and do this right. Um, that's what empathy, I feel, can do 
it it takes us away having to have so many rules and regulations because if you care about somebody, you know, you will you'd want to do the respectful thing. But I think a lot of people don't just they don't really realize what's going on with the Rise Firebird. Um, there are people who will say this film shows me my experience. I feel validated, vindicated with what you're saying. Um, I don't really understand how that's going to change anything because everybody knows this is going on. And then other people are like, we didn't know this is happening. Like I couldn't, I, I, I was just floored in the same company, in the same organization. Um, some people like everyone knows we're treated this way. And they're like, we just didn't, like, wow, we did all this stuff to make it better. We, you know, I didn't realize this was happening. Like, I'm just horrified. And you guys sit next to each other. Like, you, <laughs> Bill and Bob, you sit right next to each other and you have very different views about this. And that in itself creates a space for people to kind of calibrate their experience. I didn't realize, even though we sit at the same desk or sit side by side, your experience is so different from mine. And stories help people begin to see that reality. Yeah, I'm trying to see um, see it from their perspective, um, especially my husband. <laughs> Let me see it from your perspective, but it is important. It's like uh, someone told me when you go to uh, in college and you, the professor is teaching and educating, you know, every single student's going to get something different from that professor, you know, and that's what's beautiful is that then we can all come together and then it's like a mastermind, you know, get people <laughs> coming together and bringing their ideas and thoughts together. And that's what Absolutely. it is. And, and I love that. <laughs> yes. And so for individuals and organizations looking to support themes and messages from your film, what steps would you go ahead and recommend they take to contribute to more of an inclusive and joyful work environment? I love the word joyful work environment. <laughs> um, yeah. Joy is not a full little word. I think that for, for leaders, I would say, you know, really embrace, grow your muscle to have and lead difficult conversations because they aren't going to go away. They're not. It's, it's not going to be A, it's going to be B, it's going to be C. They're not going to go away. There's going to be just a different type of difficult, difficult conversation. So grow your muscle, grow your resilience to do that and get, get help as well. You don't have to do it by yourself as an exec. Talk to your peers, your boss. If you have that kind of boss, and if you don't, you know, that's a difficult conversation you can have with your boss. There you go. But I think really embracing that getting comfortable being uncomfortable is important. And we use the movie that way. It's, it's, it's a really good example of using the film to help leaders get comfortable leading uncomfortable conversations about, about, their, about, the, about how they lead, not because they're bad, not because they're bad leaders. I and mean, if they were terrible leaders, it wouldn't be a, if somebody was truly a horrendous leader, truly, this would not be a difficult conversation. It would not be a difficult conversation because the answer could be, I just don't care. It's not hard. That's an easy conversation. It becomes difficult because you care. Because you have compassion. That is a big, that, that is a reason why it is difficult. So we just want to lean in with that compassion and lean into that higher self. For individuals who are going through this, I actually will offer, we have a free book called um, Rising from the Ashes, Six Strategies for Bouncing Back from Toxic Work. 
which we can make available to you um, in the show notes, if that's of interest, Gina. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there are six essentials we talk about. And one of them I'll touch on is that sense of self. Really understanding, again, you have value, inherent value, inherently, and really knowing that, that no one can tell you your value. Even a bad appraisal does not determine your value and your worth. Um, getting promoted, not getting promoted does not a a a affect your value and your worth. And I just want to encourage people who aren't going through this. Um, you, I, it's not because you didn't work hard. You worked hard to get where you are. But to recognize that people have different experiences, it's not because they didn't work hard. Um, and I know that for me to have gotten to my level of seniority um, early in my career, I did have a privilege of working with some leaders who were much more supportive. Again, still had an issue. I mean, still a lot of, again, still human. So not always their highest selves um, in that space. But uh, it wasn't really on, so I think that it's also important for us to have empathy and compassion for people who did not have a great experience and maybe had decades of bad experiences at work because it may be harder for them to bounce back. And so for us to have that compassion and be that that support and and maybe not preach so much to them. I think the final thing is for everybody is cry a lot more. Yeah, You need to cry. Crying is a physiological response. You know, we we were born, we do too, we cried, we eat, we went to the bathroom, you know, and we still need to do too. We, all of those three things are built into us as something we as human beings, at least for most human beings, need to be, uh, um, are able to do. So if you are capable of crying, I mean, physiologically capable, as in you have tear ducts that work. What I learned about that is, as someone who was really never a crier, um, was that it told me, it could it helped me realize there was something wrong with myself. And it helps even those around you, especially if you're not a crier. But even if you are, because um, I'm a crier now, but I think it helps people around you know that, that, they, that you need help. So those that love you can step up and step in and help you. But understand, even if you're not crying, even if you're not crying, please don't judge yourself on that. I think crying or not, I just think it's been a massive help for me. And I think there's real value in crying. You know, if you, you know, you're not getting your coffee at Starbucks, it works every time. Just start to cry. <laughs> I love crying. Oh my God. It's like a form of therapy for me. It and it's a release. And, you know, sometimes if they're, you know, as a mom, because I have three boys, it's so it's funny when you're sharing that trouser story because literally it's happened to me many times when they were little. <laughs> like, it's so cute. But um, I would literally just go in my shower and just cry. You know, if I felt like I didn't want to cry in front of my kids, I'll just. Sorry, mommy has to go shower and just let it out. But you do need that space for you just to release that emotion because it is, it, you don't want that stuck in there because it's just going to build up. And then who knows what will then happen afterward? Because I've had two suicide attempts myself. And uh, I don't know, I was, I was in a different place, different world back then. And luckily, it obviously didn't work. Yay. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but um, and yes, and I'm here for a purpose. You know, we have a purpose yes. and it's, it, and I, once I discovered my purpose, I want everyone else to know that they have a purpose too, and for them to find it and for them to have joy in their life and gratitude and just love. One thing about finding one's purpose is I, when I was younger, I put a book and I was trying to figure out what is my purpose? I was in my early twenties and 
again, a very dark part of my life. Like I wanted to find my purpose. I read a book and it was like, why purpose is this purpose is that, but it wouldn't tell me how to find my purpose. And I can't sit here and tell you that I know fully what my purpose is now, but I have enjoyed, I now enjoy the process of exploring what that could be. And I do think that for those who don't know for sure what the purpose is, there is a lot of, there's a lot of joy and excitement in exploring and learning mm -hmm. about oneself. Because what I've also learned is the clues, especially as, as, as one gets older, the clues around what one is here to do is in their work is in not in that is in is uh you've left clues we've left clues behind mm -hmm. so if you look back at the stuff one has done for their entire life you'll see clues in terms of you know i was always for example as a my, my siblings i love my siblings greatly and one of the things i i'm forever apologizing for is i used to in I used to rope them into theatrical productions. You know, they were horrible productions and they didn't like it. But I was the oldest sister, so I could throw down, you know, the oldest yeah, sister card. And I and I am sorry. To, just to, to, if any of them are listening, I really am sorry for, for doing that. <laughs> um, but I look at that and what I'm doing now as a filmmaker, and I see, you know, there is some parallel in that, in terms of trying to tell stories in that way. So I do feel like... So often I was looking for something like very different, like, you know, Jimmy, go and go to the moon and start a moon colony, which is honestly, I might still end up there. But I say this in the sense that I'm I'm loving the fact of kind of going back and looking at myself and uncovering actually this is the kinds of things I, I should have done. I could still do because this is, this is where my interest, my passion, my commitment, my attention lies and sits. Um. Mm -hmm. I love a lot of spreadsheets. I, I, I haven't figured out how the spreadsheet thing works yet, but it's going to, it's going to come. It's going to come. Um, so I definitely think it's exciting to be in a space where one is now doing that exploration and giving, as giving myself, I like that I can give myself the time, you know, months, years to kind of settle in to, okay, this is what it is. And I also feel I can get it wrong. And it's also okay to say, okay, I thought it was this. But actually, it's going to be something else. Or it was this for this time. I was here to do this at this time. And now this is completed. There's something else for me to do. And that's also great. I don't necessarily think one has to have the one thing for their entire career if they do. Their whole entire life. It can grow as we grow. And as we know more about ourselves and know more about you know ourselves in God or ourselves in the universe. And we can become more and more the person we want. And that will that means also allowing ourselves to change yes absolutely i love everything you say i'm like yes i can totally resonate with so thank you so much for bringing that up because it is very important to learn the different things that we we found joy in as a child even you know <laughs> a little gina you know she liked to dance all the time i still love to dance and i still do dance so it's just taking those time for yourself and really connecting with your spirit and source God universe, like you said, um, and then just really diving deep within and learning who you are as a spiritual being, because like you, like you said, you are divinely created. I mean, so you're not just something like, like nothing, you are something and the world does need you. 
And yeah, and so I love it. Okay. <laughs> so finally, just for, for our listeners who are eager to watch your film, Arise Firebird, and learn more about your work, um, where can they find the movie and connect with you for further discussion or even like a collaboration? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple a couple options. One, if you if you work for a company or you're part of an organization that would like to do a private screening of Arise Firebird, because that's what we're doing right now. Um, or support us in getting our film onto PBS in terms of sponsorship. If they go to arisefirebird.com, they can click a form or email us at hello at arisefirebird.com and um, somebody will be in touch. If you are a, if you'd like to collaborate, we are at some point going to be doing a, what I would call a midnight screening, Gina, where we will release a bunch of tickets to be sold through our, through partners and collaborators for a 24 hour screening of the film. Um, if you're interested in that, also email us at hello at uh, arisefirebird, hello at arisefirebird.com. Um, yeah, those are the, those are the two ways right now that we that one can um, support us and and also see the movie. That's awesome. And I will have everything in the show notes. So please make sure you click on the links in the show notes. And Jimmy, thank you so much for uh, being on my show today. It's been an honor to have you and share your story and your film. And I'm super excited to actually watch the, the film myself. I saw the I saw the trailer and I was so fascinated by it. I'm like, oh, and he even said shine with it on there. I'm like, oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, but any any last thoughts or anything else you would like to share? I just want to say that um something you said that we need you and just to anyone listening who may be going through a rough time <clears throat> remember that we need you and that the world is better because you're with us yes I love that well thank you so much Jimmy my pleasure thank you so much for having me Gina it's been a I've had a blast thank you so much To my cherished listeners, from the very depths of my heart, thank you. Every single one of you who've showered me with those warm five-star reviews, your kindness shines so brightly. And if you haven't yet, know that your voice and support always matter. Your unwavering love has lifted us onto Feedspot's esteemed list of best women's sobriety podcasts, and it truly warms my heart. With immense love and care, I've created something for you. Introducing the Overcoming Challenges mini course, crafted especially with the intention to guide and support you through life's varied phases, because we all deserve gentle guidance as we navigate life's tides. Furthermore, I have two heartfelt gifts for our listener family. One is a seven-day challenge, a tender beginning for those curious about sobriety. The other, a personal sharing from my journey, a six-step blueprint towards an alcohol-free life. These are the steps I took, I embraced beyond AA and the traditional 12 steps that have nurtured my own sobriety journey. To embrace these tokens of gratitude and love, simply text GIFT, that's G-I-F-T, to 1-855-649-6196. Again, that's the word GIFT, G-I-F-T, at 1-855-649-6196. With all of my love and deepest gratitude, I cherish each and every one of you.